the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. Today I talk with Jason Blummer. Jason is the president of Blummer CPAs, an accounting firm that has worked with creatives like Dan Mall and the Forefathers Group. We talk about the art of business coaching, steps to building your business, the importance of value pricing, and more, all right after this. As a designer, there's nothing more frustrating than laboring over the perfect design and having a t-shirt screen printer reproduce your work as a low-quality t-shirt. RealThread has the solution. RealThread creates super soft t-shirts people love to wear. RealThread has spent years perfecting an efficient and clear platform for you to be able to order the softest custom printed t-shirts you'll ever wear. RealThread is dedicated to your project with the utmost knowledge and expertise on creating super soft custom screen printed shirts. For free quotes, a quick answer to questions, and a high-res digital mock-up of your design, head over to realthread.com or simply call, email, text, or live chat with the RealThread team any day of the week. Plus, when you are ready, get up to $100 off your first order with RealThread. Just mention Creative South Podcast in the print notes at checkout or to your account executive. Are you ready to explore your creativity and meet a ton of new friends while you're doing it? Then head over to creativesouth.com right now and get your Creative South tickets. Join us April 6th through 9th in Columbus, Georgia for Creative South, where you come as friends and leave as family. If you like the podcast and want to help support us, head over to patreon.com slash creative south. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. Plus, when you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else, Creative South podcast stickers and t-shirts, and you can even get your own podcast episode. So please, help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash South. Jason, thanks for uh, joining me this evening. Yeah, Jason, thank you for having me, man. It's awesome to be on the podcast. <laughs> you're dude. the you're the second Jason I've talked to, so hopefully it won't get uh, too confusing. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> At least I know who I am, so that there you I go. guess that makes it a little well, bit easier. <laughs> and I know me, so I think both of us are at least clear. So, <laughs> well, then then we're good to go. So, why don't you give us a little backstory of where'd you grow up? Yeah. So I'm I'm originally from Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. And and that's where I am now. Um and so I'm I'm probably unlike a lot of your guests, right? I'm a actually a consultant or a coach to agencies. I'm a CPA. I run my own CPA firm mm-hmm. uh for the past thirteen and a half years. And our niche is creative design marketing agencies and so, and development agencies, any type agency model we serve. How did you figure out you wanted to get into that niche? Um, I think it found us. I think that's how a lot of a lot of niches find people is the niche will find you. So often in we were a generalist firm years ago. Sure. Which which meant we would take anybody, you know, if they have a uh checkbook, we'll take you as a client. <laughs> and <laughs> and so we started getting a, a few creative agencies and they really seemed to allow us to serve them in the way that we enjoyed serving. Um, you know, which is uh cloud-based software, digital you know, we don't like calling on the phone. We don't want to pass paper back and forth. Um, and so we, we just started noticing we were getting a few agencies and, you know, agencies would, you know, it's a pretty strong community. So they would refer other agencies sure. uh, to us. So we started growing. Um, and we had an office at the time, but we learned they 
um, they were coming to us across the country. Mm-hmm. We're like, well, that's kind of cool. I wonder if we could serve them virtually. Um, and so we went through a couple-year process of actually shutting our firm down. Well, we closed the office, not shut it down, but we closed the office. <laughs> closed <laughs> the different. physical branch of it. Yeah, closed the physical branch so that we could go virtual. And we did that about four and a half years ago and have really been committed to the niche ever since. So when you were, you know, going through college and all that, did did you ever think that you'd be on this route? Because I know, oh, you know, no. from looking at your website, you were, you know, big into music and yeah. kind of wanted to do that. How did, how did you go from that yeah. to being a CPA to back to working with people in the creative? Yeah. Well, it's not, um, it's kind of a stupid story, but I guess, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm in this rock band in college two years in, I'm like, I guess I need to pick an, a major. <laughs> and my dad was an accountant, so that's what I did, right? I mean, obviously, right? Every rock and roller picks accounting for their oh, major. Oh yeah, exactly. So, you know, you know that's that's what you do. And so I cut my hair and went into accounting. So, <laughs> so a lot of people don't, you know, they accuse me of not being, not really being an accountant or mm-hmm. or really being a a CPA. So, but yeah, it's it. I'm, I've always been a creative, visionary type guy. I can't. I don't know how I got into accounting, um, other than I just. I think I just picked it because my dad was doing it. <laughs> That's not a very good reason, by the way. <laughs> it worked well, out for so, me. I mean, something about it obviously stuck because you're still doing it 13 yeah. years later. <laughs> that's well, well, it's, it's so that's been many years ago uh, yeah. when I, you know, when I probably early. 91 is probably when I picked my major <laughs> in accounting. So I've been doing it quite a while now. Um, yeah. yeah, it worked out. Probably not the, probably not what I would, what I would tell my 18 year old who's, who's in college now, you know, <laughs> she does not want to do accounting. She's a creative designer too. So uh, I've tried <laughs> so to convince her, her to well. be an accountant. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so maybe she'll now switch to accounting like I did, right? Being creative. I don't know. Hopefully. Only if you're lucky. That's right. I hope not. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you make the switch to, you know, kind of backing up to what we were talking about originally. You're making the switch to a virtual accounting office mm-hmm. where you're helping out other designers. And, you know, that word of mouth, by the way, I found you word of mouth through uh, the guys over at Forefathers. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I coach with those guys. They're great guys. Yeah, they 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 talk to you up big time. Man. Uh-huh. Awesome. Got, it got me really interested in wanting to talk to you because that's not something I think a lot of designers ever think about is, you know, coaching on their business side. And, you know, we're mm. the artsy fartsy types and tend to. That's right be the dreamers and not necessarily always the most pragmatic. So that's right. Dealing with someone who for lack of a better term can kind of whip us into shape and right. show it, show us a path to take where it's uh, you know, smart and feasible. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, Co- no coaching. Yeah. Coaching can be really transformative. Um, you know, they're, they're generally when you're, when you're building a company, there are ceilings, there are general ceilings you run into. 
Mm-hmm. Um, grow, say fast entrepreneurial growth produces ceilings, and there's got to be ways to push through those ceilings. And for service-based businesses, a lot of times it's around the 500 to 600,000 revenue mark, five to six to seven employees. Mm-hmm. You start finding you run into a ceiling that a sole owner can't do on their own. Sure. Um, and a coach can help really see through that and break through that. The coach is a third-party person that steps in, is not emotionally tied to any of the decisions you need to make, like Mm -hmm. you need to fire that person or double your price. These things that freak out the owner, they don't scare the coach. (laughs) And so the coach just keeps gently pushing and and bringing a lot of accountability. Um, And it's true. If you're ready for a coach, you have to be ready for that kind of thing. Uh, It's not for everybody. But if you're ready, a coach can push you further than you typically can push yourself uh, so it's, but you know, not a lot of people know that, or not a lot of people have experience with hiring a business coach. So, what's something that people should look for in that? So, when they're hiring a coach, obviously you. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it could be. Well, you know, it is true that all coaches have their own style. Mm-hmm. Um, all coaches do it, you know, in different ways. Uh, some want to only do it in person. Some will do it over Skype. Some over the phone. I can do it kind of one of either of those ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the coach has to fit you really well. So you should be interviewing a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all coaches are the same. Some are. Some have certifications, though. I don't know that that really matters too well. I just have a lot of experience in doing it. Um, so the coach has to really fit you really mm-hmm. well because uh, it is a personality-based thing. Uh, some coaches are ha- more harsh than others. Um, I like to focus on the neuroscience side of coaching, and that that sounds fancy, and I'm not some neuroscientist, but I love to read books about how people's brains change. Okay. And so when I'm coaching, I'm sometimes trying to make that person's brain do something sure. that, I, that I know it should do. Um, and so I just like that geeky side of coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're looking for a coach, really what you're looking for is change. So you're asking somebody to hold you accountable to be transformed in some way, to be different. And so if you don't want that, if you don't want to be pushed in that way or challenged, then a coach is not right for you because they will poke you kind of in the proverbial eye <laughs> to try to get you to pay attention, to change, to do something different. Um, so they're going to push you. And that's that's why you should get a coach if you're ready to be pushed to a new level. Sure. So when someone, you know, kind of comes on board with you, what do you have like a I mean, obviously, each client's going to be individual, but a a general process that you go through that you walk them through of, you know, here's step A, step B, step C. And here's what we want your results to be. Obviously, you know, having that conversation with them. Yeah, um, we, we do something similar. I think, again, this is where you're going to find a lot of coaches are different. Some will be more, um, uh, they will do more of that readiness and assessment and documentation. I'm mm-hmm. less like that. I'm more of a, a coach from the gut kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, our first session is typically um, about the future, trying to figure out where are you headed uh, and how are you going to get there. Uh, and then we document a lot of that in Basecamp. So we share a private Basecamp account with mm-hmm. each coachee. Um, and then that's how they converse with me between sessions and put up new ideas and photos and pictures and pricing PDFs and things like that or whatever they're working on. Um, so, yeah, that first session, probably for most coaches, is some type of assessment. 
Um, and then depending on what some people are hiring me for, sometimes I'll ask them to read a book or mm-hmm. start a book. Uh, and then sometimes we'll do personality profiles as well, just so we can learn what they're like. Uh, that's even more important when you're doing partner coaching to know what the different partners are like. Because uh, some of that, those things I don't know. So we'll just try to get a feel for that through personality profiles. So, um, so not a lot of science in that first session, but probably with any coach, it is about trying to figure out where they're headed. Um, because coaching boiled down is basically knowing where you want to go, mm-hmm. knowing where you are now, and documenting the steps between those two points. Uh, and then you overlay accountability on top of it to get sure. them from one point to the next. So that's kind of what that's the definition of coaching, really. So, you know, you, you mentioned some books. What are books that you generally recommend to people? Um, Positioning for Professionals is a really good book by Tim Williams. Uh, one of the easiest books I've read on, um, you know, how to position yourself appropriately uh, in a marketplace. The Win Without Pitching Manifesto, um, that is by Blair Inns from Canada. Real good book on just, you know, how to do business better. has a lot of pricing-related coaching. Uh, A lot of larger agencies are using the book Traction by Gino Wickman. Um, I've heard somebody mention that one recently. Yeah, so that's becoming a popular book to uh, just gives you a – it's not a lot of theory, but it gives you a lot of basics uh, on how to – you know, traction a company's vision to move mm-hmm. it forward. So that's a really, really good book, especially if you have a partnership team and you kind of feel a little disorganized. Traction can give you boots on the ground, ways to actually move your company forward and see it start growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite strategy books is uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel. Uh, he and so that's you know that's not necessarily a coaching book. It's just uh, some some really strong foundational business strategy philosophies he has about building startups that really can apply to a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, another again, it, all these are easy reads. Maybe I'm I'm giving it away that I'm maybe I'm <laughs> kind of dumb. I need easy books, so these are all really easy books to read. Um, well, really you know, good. a lot of designers have really short attention spans, that's so that's right, probably yeah. not a bad idea. Yeah. Well, and for these, you can listen to them. You know, I listen to books. Not everybody can do that, but or that's not a style they prefer. So I listen. I can listen to a lot of these too on audio. Okay. So you, one of the things you mentioned. Well, actually, we'll get to that in a minute. What have there been common themes that you've kind of found um, with most designers and agencies that kind of run the gamut? Well, probably just some general thoughts on growing a business um, is is that um, I don't know. There's there, there's a huge requirement in making decisions about growing any kind of company, um, sure. and decisions. And when I I'm not talking about particular decisions. I'm saying most people won't make a decision. They won't decide. So a lot of times, business strategy they let it be accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people actually are running their companies, not really knowing where they're going. And then five years into that, they've accidentally stepped into some kind of model that's over overwhelming, overbearing. The clients are more in control than the firm, the agency mm-hmm. is. Um, and so uh, really growing a firm the right way has a lot to do with mapping out a good strategy for where you want to go. Um, and then 
um, making decisions about who needs to be, you know, in your company, who you need to fire, you know, what kind of client you need to start serving, uh, you know, developing a customer persona and who you want to serve. And you, we just find when we do any coaching or consulting with agencies, we find a lot of them just haven't made a lot of the basic decisions of this is what I want to be when I grow up. They just start selling a website. Do you think that's just because they're so far in the trenches that they're kind of doing like what you mentioned when you started off? They're taking anybody who's going to write them a check. Yeah, coming in yeah, the door I, and yeah, I think that I think that is uh, that is what they do, and that you know it's not bad to start that way uh, because you eventually have to have a company that supports you and your family. So sure, typically cash flow is the most important step you come to when you're building a business, but there's got to be a switch at some point to start being a strategic owner. Mm-hmm. Um, traction is a book that really gives you this, you know, this document that helps you map out your strategy uh, to give you this traction. But you have to start defining some basic things like what is your purpose, you know, your mission statement, what are your core values, mm-hmm. you know, what what is a three year goal, what would be your next one year goal? Uh, these are the things you kind of have to think about, or the the business will get away from you. It'll run away from you very quickly. Um, and your team feels it. They feel the disorganization of an owner who has a business that's out of their control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard for an owner to grasp back that control while at the same time they're doing a lot of technical services, too. Uh, and so there's some lever where the owner is failing to step out of the service to the client. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a you know, that's a fearful thing, because ultimately there's going to be a time when the the agency owner doesn't know everything that's happening in the agency. And that's really kind of freaky to a guy, to a person who started a company, but it is ultimately what happens. The larger you grow, um, instead of that happening accidentally, it's nice to do that on purpose, which is basically, you know, mapping out where you want to go, knowing when it's time to hire that next person that you're going to delegate some technical work to, um, you know, those are just real important. You know, those are real important steps uh, to not let that company uh, get out ahead of you and control you. Mm-hmm. Well, I know when I talked to the guys over at Forefathers, you know, one of the things that they mentioned was, um, I can't remember if it was Jondon or Matt who mm. forever was doing all the front end programming as well, and you know, I think after talking to you, kind of realized that you know. I can keep doing this and things are going to stay the way that they are. But if I, you know, give that responsibility to somebody else or hire out to somebody to do that, then I can take on more responsibility in this other direction that will actually cause things to grow. That's right. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's one of those examples of things uh, a lot of agency owners fail to do, and that's decide on the roles that they feel. Um, Mm -hmm. They kind of accidentally fall into a role uh, and the role is probably some kind of technical, creative role, you know, uh, development or or design. Um, but ultimately, you have to define your roles, especially in a multi-partner company. Sure. Because um, it might be that you have two equals. Well, everybody can do everything. Well, that's not how you build a business. You actually, one person has to do a certain role, mm-hmm. and the other person has to do a different role from that person. Y'all can't, you're not going to grow typically if you're all doing the same role. Um, so role definition is something people overlook often. So you want to be very clear about what role am I going to fill that you're not going to fill and what role are you going to uh, fill that I don't need to fill. Uh, and then you start carving out people's specialties, uh, mm-hmm. and then they really start moving those areas forward. And then you can start hiring people 
to work for those different owners in those different uh, disciplines. Uh, and then you can start delegating more effectively. Uh, and really, then you start seeing growth happen. Um, but you got to define who's going to do what. How do you convince people to define that? Because I know, you know, <laughs> for a lot of people, uh, myself included, that, that giving up that control and, you know, it, it's not even the matter of giving up the control. It's the not wanting to relinquish the things that I that got me interested in doing the yeah. stuff in the first place. Yeah. And I think there's a fear that comes with that. How do you oh, get yeah. people to move past that? Oh yeah, it is a fear. Well, in coaching, you you cert- coaches don't tell anybody what to do, and that's kind of the beauty of coaching, is I don't have to really be an expert on that the coachee's business. I just have to, I have to be good at working with them to come to their own conclusion. So, mm-hmm. uh, if I perceive in the middle of coaching that a role issue is a problem, then I'll just go down a road of trying to define. Who does what? Okay, you tell me what you do, and now you tell me what you do, um, and then I can ask questions like, "Well, who does this? Well, who does?" You can just start asking a lot of different questions until you eventually bump into, "Well, crap, this is all pretty confusing, isn't it?" <laughs> and then you can go, "Well, it is. It is really confusing." And now that you guys are running into each other a lot of times, um, what do you think you should do about it? You know, what do you see as the next step forward in trying to solve this issue? So a coach doesn't approach an issue and say, this is what you should do, because often people people buy in and change more when they they come up with the idea on their own mm-hmm. or they're or they're bought into it in some way. They agree that it is the thing they've they've decided is the right path forward. Then they're going to start making the the right changes uh, in their life, you you can't tell anybody what to do because they don't they don't care what you say. It's, <laughs> if they believe it, they're going to change. So a coach has to be really patient, <laughs> and sometimes it takes a number of sessions to help them see. Sure, you know it's a problem, but you know there's you know when you coach a long time, which I've done, you see a lot of um, you hear a lot of different uh, language, and you know what the language means because you've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Um, like when, when you're talking to two different, cl- when you're talking to a partner group and one describes an issue and they say, well, my clients do this. And the other partner's going, well, my, my clients do this. That's a, that's a key sign that the company is really not a company. It's just two people with their own groups of clients that have come together to work in the same office, mm-hmm. even though legally they may have joined, that's actually not a real company. Uh, and they're going to have problems. They're going to. Uh, they're running their business in silos, so to speak. And so they're really not combined. They're not running under one vision, one leader, uh, one path forward. It's your clients and your clients. So again, they're ju- they can only grow as, as much as their two hands can do because they're not leveraging a, a company's ability sure. to serve more co- more clients than what two people can handle. So you just hear trends as a coach and you know, oh, I know what they're doing. But you don't tell them. You just start asking questions to kind of vet out that issue and have them come to see it clearly for themselves. Are there times where you run into it where, you know, the writing is – I hate to use the phrase the writing is on the wall because that means sounds like something's at an end because that's not what I'm asking. But yeah. where the path is very clear of what they should be doing yeah, and they're just not willing to see it. 
Um, oh, yeah. And, and how do you deal with that? Aside from well, saying, okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, some, sometimes you sometimes you have to end a coaching relationship. You know, it is a lot like a counseling role. Mm-hmm. Um, and some sometimes you're sometimes you get done with counseling or you've gone as far as you're, you're, you know, psychologically or mentally ready to go. Um, sometimes I'll end the relationship because mm-hmm. I'm like, this is not working. <laughs> and sometimes they'll end the relationship um, because it's not working from their end. They're not seeing any kind of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I learned quickly, I'm not the right coach for them. So, um, so I, I don't know. A lot of times it is you, you have to know when to cut ties, and that, mm-hmm. is, that does happen in coaching. Um, so it's, it's better to go slow up front to try to determine if you're a right fit for somebody. Um, and you know what? I may have not answered your original question. No, <laughs> well, no, that's is that's, that good? Okay. That, that was good. That, that answered it. Okay, it's, good. It's uh, going back to Kenny Rogers and the gambler. you got to know when to hold them and that's right. know when to fold them. That's right. You've got to know that. <laughs> so, you know, we talked you 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 talked about it briefly, real briefly earlier on, of you know helping people figure out what's the best model for them. Yeah. And when you're doing all this coaching stuff, you know, I I know one of the big things that is big for the industry, and and you mentioned it as well, is that value pricing. Yeah. How, what what are the benefits of that versus hourly pricing and and how do you know when to do one over the other yeah well that's kind of a business model decision if you're mm-hmm. if you're learning if you're deciding whether you want to be a firm that bills by the hour that really is a business model that infiltrates every part of the business it infiltrates even the thinking um, uh, it's a it's really a mindset of work equals pay uh, the more work I do, the more money I get. And that's a culture mindset of the whole company. And, of course, the owners, that comes from the top down. Sure. Um, now, so if you want to switch to pricing, pricing is a particular function that um, not a lot of service-based businesses do, but they should. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you price, then you're what you're doing is you're going to be changing your whole business model. Because now there is no time entry. Mm-hmm. There, there is... Uh, really, the best way to do it is to lose all entry of all time. Uh, and so uh, knowing time to a lot of people is such a crutch. Um, and maybe it's a good crutch. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying you, if you value price, you don't also track time. It doesn't mm-hmm. really make sense. Now, a lot of people would would disagree with me and say, well, I do track time internally because it helps me know you know how much how much it takes to do a certain website or whatever. It's okay. just really more resource management for them. They're trying to manage their internal resources and leverage their team the right way. Um, but what I w- always want to tell people is, when you're trying to grow a business, you only want to implement things that you're going to use um, and that will change you in some way. And as an example, if an agency wants to move to value pricing, mm-hmm. um, I would try to get them to also not track time because the the value pricing is creating the price. Sure. You do that before you track time. And then and then I want to ask what are you going to do with the time you tracked in, you know, some kind of product like Harvest? Uh, if you're not using time to produce invoices, then what are you going to do with the time? And some people may do things with the time. Maybe it will adjust their price the next time they quote a client. Mm-hmm. Um, it just typically doesn't. 
They typically track time. They keep doing it. They don't do anything with the time. Uh, and it's just a culture. Everybody has to do it. You beat people up on Monday because nobody ever turns in the timesheet mm-hmm. or the timesheets are crap. They're <laughs> kind of wrong. They don't really mean anything. Um, all the while, you're pricing all all your clients up front. So the time tracking doesn't really do you any good. So I guess I would say they're really two separate business models. Um, if you want to track time, you got to track time and price that way. And if you want to value price, get the full benefit from it and drop the time tracking and really start to feel what it feels like to run a company successfully without time um, and to feel that freedom, that administrative freedom of billing on a, you know, a, a weekly or a monthly basis uh, and hitting employees over the head to give you a timesheet that ultimately you don't really do anything with. Mm-hmm. Um, pricing is a... I would say pricing is a pretty mature change to make. It's a really hard change. It takes uh, years to switch a company, depending on the size, over to a pricing model. Um, so it's, I, I guess. So I would if say, you're going to switch, do it early. <laughs> what? Yes. Yeah. Listen. If you're, yeah, if you're going to switch, do it when you start your company, because when you do it in, you know, five years in, and you've got, you know, a bunch of clients, and you know, you run, you run fifteen projects at a time. You've got this huge project management billing administrative foundation to your company. And if you value price, you're going to just like wreck the whole thing. It's going to be so disruptive to your team. They're going to go, how do I know what I'm doing or what I'm not doing? Um, Because what they've done is they've tied project management to time tracking, which I see them as two separate things. Time tracking is is a thing on its own. Project management is tracking effectively work being done in a timely basis based upon predefined milestones uh, for for client, you know, for the client. Mm-hmm. Um, and time tracking, they they use that as their project management tool. And I just don't think, so, so I don't someone, think it is using, that. Someone's using time tracking saying, well, you worked 15 hours on this, so we need to bill accordingly or, you know, or we're paying you for the 15 hours that you worked at whatever rate we've agreed on. Yeah. Um and and when it comes to project management you you're not reliant on if you're going away and moving in value pricing you're not reliant and beholden to that timesheet to figure out what the project is worth. That that's right. And so so basically it's it's how, this this might be an example of how those two might tie together tie together is if if you've done a budget of hours to mm-hmm. reach a certain milestone, you might say, we're probably going to reach this milestone around 20 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay, so then let's sign with the client and let's get into this project. And 20 hours in, they've billed 20 hours. Well, you still may not be at the milestone. You might be over the milestone or under the milestone. So just because the 20 hours have passed doesn't mean good and adequate and sufficient work has been done or that the client is even happy. So it... So just because 20 hours have passed doesn't mean the milestone has been reached in any in any way at all. It may have, it may not have. We're just saying it's completely arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Hours passing does not mean a wonderful beautiful milestone has been reached with a client that is fully excited about. It just means hours call. have passed. It just means hours have passed. Um gotcha. and so those those things I think should be separated. They should be torn apart. Project management is 
adequately knowing where are we, where should we be at this time, mm-hmm. and is the client happy with where we're at, and are we on track for the whole project? It really doesn't matter who's been, you know, b- billing time or not billing time. Sure. Um, I mean, you might have a junior person that just stinks at their job that you just hired and you didn't train. Well, they're throwing <laughs> hours on the project. It certainly doesn't mean you've gotten anywhere mm. to serve that client well. So. Um, so a lot of t- what it, what billing does a lot of times is it confuses agency owners because the passage of time makes them feel like we're we're being successful when really you should be asking other questions. You shouldn't assume, cool, we're getting the job done because we build twenty hours. You should be asking other questions like, did I train my team appropriately? Do they know what their job is? Do they know their role? Is the client happy? You know, these are things that really help us know. If our company is valuable and it's mm-hmm. worth the prices we're charging, those are those are the better questions. Time tracking confuses that a lot. And again, I'm not saying you can't build a company on time and billing. Right. You can. It's just I think it gets confusing sometimes. Gotcha. So if a, if a company has or is switching over to value pricing, how should what what <laughs> parameters should they use to determine what their value is and how do they go about figuring that out? That I think that's the probably the bigger challenge. I would say. Oh, it is. Oh man, it's it's huge. Um, well, I think I think one one thing to bring up is that um, you know p- pricing your services with with a timesheet is um, is really a calculation. Mm-hmm. It's math. <laughs> it's basically math, right? Because when at the end of the month you just add up everybody's hours times some rate, um, sure, or you know, mixed rate or however they're using it. And so it's math. They go, well, cool. The invoice is correct because I did the math right. Mm-hmm. Well, value pricing is not math at all. It's really more of a methodology. It's really it's really philosophy-based, meaning what is the philosophy of the value of your company? What is your value proposition, really? Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on what you're saying that is to your marketplace, that's how you'll price. So um, billing is math. But value pricing is methodology. So it is really – pricing is really gut-driven. It's very judgment-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll never know if you price accurately, and that's the thing that kills people. They really don't like that, that you won't know if your price is ever right because um, you know the, the main distinction between billing and pricing is that pricing is always done before work is started. Billing sure. is always done after work is completed. And so if you have to price work before you even start it, I mean, you have to, you know, that's a that's a hit and miss thing, man. That's that's a harder job to price something before you ever start mm-hmm. um, instead of relying on what your hours are, you know, toward the end. It's it's a really, really difficult thing. Um you know, so it's you it's just skill you get better at. It's something you gotta practice and you gotta learn. Um, but if you're starting now, probably mm-hmm. the first way to do it is to start with the next new client. You typically don't start value pricing older clients. You start with your brand new client. Um, and then you go, what probably would I have priced them had I done a big hour budget for this project? And you kind of start there. Uh, and then I would add 15 or 20% onto it. Okay. To get to a closer value price. That's just... That's where you start, and then you'll start learning over the next year or two how you can really increase your prices um, or lower your prices. <laughs> Maybe, you know, typically value well, prices. If you're not does, getting work, you probably should lower your prices. Yeah, yeah. 
but you know, value pricing does typically lead to more profitable work. Uh, mm-hmm. You you do become more profitable if you do it right. But the goal of value pricing is not to just raise your prices; it's more to align your price with the perceived value and what you're giving the client. You're trying okay. to match up what they value, and um, that's hard to do. Really knowing what what your value is and what the client values; those are really hard things to call with a dollar amount. But you have to do it. So is there is there a sweet spot between trusting your gut and following metrics that people should be uh, kind of looking at to figure out yes. where their baseline should start? Other than the you know what would I you know if I think this would probably take twenty hours and I'll add fifteen percent yeah and then start from there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there is going to be some kind of balance. So. You definitely don't want to pull every price out of your butt, right? That's right. probably not the best way to build a business. Um, so I think um, I'm not sure what that would be for people, um, but you know, but probably your your baseline, basing it on what you would have billed people if you were billing by the hour, would would be a floor, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, then you could set a value pricing ceiling probably above that, which would be you know, significantly higher. And even using that range with the client in a conversation with the client to say, are we in between these ranges? Are we in between Mm -hmm. 50,000 and 150,000 for this project? Is that where we're at? Um, And then just trying to figure out what, where the client's landing and and how they value it. Um, It really, value pricing really uh, forces you. It asks an an agency owner to become a salesperson. Mm -hmm. Um, you really have to be good at sales because it, it it all becomes about client education to really help that client understand what are we actually trying to sell you and what is the proposed value you're going to get out of this. Those are things you got to have those conversations up front so you can actually put a price on it. And not everybody's good at that, mm-hmm. that part of running a business. Oh, that's my least favorite part. So I'll be honest there. It's hard. That's, the sales part terrifies me. It's really hard. It's, I, I, it's hard. Yeah. I, but a I, I, value, if you're a good. value pricing firm, you're going to have to become a salesperson. That's kind of part sure. of the package. Sure. Um, billing well, by have, the hour means you don't really have to. You just start churning out work, and, and that works too. Now, personally, I have the luxury of I have a full-time job with another company there that is go. not my own. It's somebody else's, and I you know, I work that way. And then the freelance stuff is just added gravy for me. And There you go. Yep. So. <laughs> yep. That's good. So I don't have to worry about that quite as much. But That's there are right. people no, out you there that, that, you know, I mean, my wife's, you know, runs her own thing. So the freelance mm. stuff that I get in most of the time is stuff that is more in my wheelhouse of skills than hers. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very cool. Um, you know, when we were, before we were on air, we were talking about a couple other things that I wanted to touch on real quick. Um, yeah. You know, specifically with how we should look at financial metrics and yeah. how, th- how that applies to creatives in general. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a lot around the financials uh, for agencies that they should know. Um, you know, some, some danger points are when, when they're, you know, a lot of, a lot of people run into um, uh, like more than 50% of their revenue becomes concentrated in one client Mm-hmm. Uh, that becomes, you know, that's really dangerous when you have a high one client concentration. So you want to typically to build diversity and safety in your firm, you want to have 
I don't know, 20, 15% of your revenue being um, one client only. You know, you don't mm-hmm. want a large percentage of your revenue to be one client. So those are some things you want to watch out for. Uh, in a service-based agency uh, or in a service-based company, which an agency is, um, you know, metrics of 50% or less for labor, you mm-hmm. know, or things you want to stay within that line. And I'm, I typically would throw contractors and employees in there. Um, and again, that's not a hard number. It could be totally different for if the owners are in there and what percentage of the owner's time is committed to the creative work or what, sure. you know, what percentage is part of running the business. Um, you know, bottom line profit when we're seeing uh, agencies at 10, 15 percent, um, bottom line profit that's healthy that's really healthy um if if it's higher than that if it's getting in the 20 and 30 percent that's probably noting that it's a value-based agency they price based on value Mm -hmm. um, because you're going to see higher margins when you see value-based agencies pricing Um, or depending on the type of work they do sometimes a niched agency will have a higher margin Sure. Um, because a niche basically means you're an expert, and experts always command a higher price. Mm-hmm. Um, that's common. Um, so, and you know, you, then you want to see the owner getting 20, 25%, you know, uh, in some form, uh, either through pay or distributions, uh, however you do that. So, um, so those are some basic metrics. And then, and there's, there's not a lot of complexity to the business. Uh, to the financials of an agency because it's a service-based agency. Sure. You know, they don't sell widgets. It's just labor. Um, the business models are what's pretty complex, which is how do you how do you run time and project management through a company? Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who manages that? Who talks to the client? You know, what are you building? In what order do you build it? Why do you build it that order? You know, things like that. So, um from so a tech, some, from a technology standpoint, you know, kind of that project management stuff. What are things? Uh, obviously, you recommend baseline because you've mentioned that a couple of times. Uh, what are some camp, other? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, sorry, we're, baseline was another thing that we talked about with yeah. pricing. <laughs> it was confusing the two. I know oh, what Basecamp right. is. I use it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but what what are some other you know technology solutions that make our jobs a little easier? Wow, you know, we don't consult a lot on the technology that a lot of these uh, agencies use. You know, um, I mean, there are tons of project management, you know, systems mm-hmm. like Basecamp, um, you know, Trello, you know, these these kind of systems. I I, w- I would say, you know, a lot of a lot of agency owners do get bogged down trying to find the perfect package sure. to run their company on, and there really is no perfect package that you'll run a company on. Um, so often you have to you have to find one, you have to pick it, you have to use it, and sometimes you have to bend your processes a little bit into the software uh, so that you can leverage it and get the most use out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so not all there's not going to be any piece of software that's going to work uh, perfectly for your company um, because you have to remember when people you know when startup founders are building you know, like Jason Fried that built Basecamp, mm-hmm. they have certain philosophies in how they approach project management. They believe this is how you should do it. Uh, and it may not be a belief you adhere to in your company. So you're going to run into that belief oftentimes in the way that they push to-dos or, you know, or how they invite clients into the package and what they can see. Um, right. You may want it to do something different. I guess I would say, um, 
you know, a lot of agencies, they have the ability to tap into the APIs of these things and they want to start, start <laughs> screwing with the software and building their own stuff. And I, I think that's often just a distraction. Um, you know, building a company really has a lot to do with your value and the appropriate price and really making sure you care for the client. Just going down these rabbit holes to these details of really a lot of diving into the APIs and building your own product that's pulling stuff out of base camp. It doesn't typically transform you or make your company more valuable in any definite way. Sure. So it, I would, I like to caution people against getting too detailed and going down the road of just rebuilding products to make it be what you want it to be. Find what works for you and stop messing with it. In other words. Yeah. Yeah. Use Basecamp the way it was meant. And I know you don't like it all, but use it anyway and run your company because you've got things to sell for a value price and uh, go ahead and bend a little bit to the processes and how Basecamp requires you to change um, and get the most use out of it. And then, and then go take care of clients and ask them to pay you a lot of money. That's what you should be focused on. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. And then uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you about that sure. we mentioned before we opt on was the client onboarding and kind of what the best practices are and, yeah. you know, what, what your take on it is. Yeah. So uh, client onboarding is something I noticed, oh, man, many years ago. Um, you know, when I was onboarded to a piece of online, you know, software, you know, if you get into these cloud-based software tools and they'll often assign you somebody that will help onboard you into the product effectively. So you use it the right way. And I thought, well, maybe we should onboard our clients into our firm. Um, and it really, onboarding fits really tightly into value pricing mm-hmm. um, because value pricing is, uh, um, it is really trying to figure out what is this thing that the client values. And so uh, onboarding slows down your sales process uh, to really have meetings with that client to figure out what are the things that they value, trying to dive deeply into what they're trying to accomplish, really trying to dive so deeply into what the client's accomplishing that they don't even know they're trying to accomplish. Um, a lot of times you got to unlock w- what the desire of the client is. Like what what a lot of service-based agencies do is they sell needs instead Mm -hmm. of wants, uh, clients come to you for needs. They say, build a website, build me a logo. They they have a list of needs when what you want to sell them is their wants, but they don't bring the wants to you because they don't often know what those wants are. So so going down the road of trying to figure out what they value is all about asking them, what do you really want? Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you find, when you uncover those wants, then you're uncovering different pricing options for them. Um, So Back to customer onboarding, it's really just a way to prepare the client to be priced. Uh, and, I, and I believe that's a really core part of pricing. You can't just go in there with a price. You have to prepare a client to even be priced by you. They have to perceive you as an expert. Uh, they have to perceive a lot of value in mm-hmm. who you are and what you bring to the table. Uh, and then they're going to let you propose these high-valued uh, prices, which are much higher than what they paid maybe at a previous agency. Um, and there's just a lot of tips and tricks to do that. Like you can go to our website, blummercpas.com, and go to the new client form, and you'll see we strategically ask the client to, to check off these buttons mm-hmm. that say, this is what I am. And, you know, we're, we're psychologically getting them to adhere and believe the thing that we want them to believe 
Um, like I can invest in your services. I perceive you as a business consultant. I don't have any past screwed up tax issues because we don't do that kind of work. Um, so you can imagine why you wouldn't want to get into that. Yeah. You know, it's just not a lot of fun for a CPA firm. Let me tell you. Um, and then when people sign up on our website, then they, they're sent a statement of things we believe. Um, Mm -hmm. so we're really just trying to do a lot of alignment with that client to try to figure out, are we right for you? Are you right for us? And if so, through the process, trust is increased. And then when we can ask them those hard questions uh, about what things they value and who they want to become, they'll let they'll listen to us. They'll they'll hang out with us and let us price those options to to help hopefully transform them. So it's a, just a big uh, onboarding process is a big preparation for that client uh, to be transformed. That's what it is. Well, I think it, it it also sounds like it's a good primer to better be able to serve the client as well from your end that's yeah that's right and you really that's you know that's the goal of value pricing a lot of people want to do it because they want to make more money but it's value pricing really at its core is trying to figure out how can i price the thing that the client really values how can Mm -hmm. i be better at pricing the thing they value and that does typically mean you're pricing higher because because we all business owners undervalue what they do. That's a real common – that's a common thing for business owners because it's easy for you, so yeah. you tend to undervalue it. And so People can't see me nodding vigorously right now. Yeah, it's – you know, you, you undervalue what you do because it's so easy to you, but to the client, it, it's, uh, it's of a high value, and so you can price that higher. Uh, but to prepare them for that, you got to walk them through this, this process of getting what they want. Um, and instead of really – you know, increasing your price, what we all should be trying to do is increase the value we give our clients. And when mm-hmm. we increase the value, the price just follows. The price always is adhered to some kind of value. Um, but value is so arbitrary. We sure. rarely talk about that. But that's the thing we increase or we decrease in some options. Uh, and we let the price follow and increase and decrease with the value that we're giving. Um, and that's, that's kind of some basics to value pricing. I know everybody's got it now, right? It's just so clear. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> it's really hard to do. Value pricing is a really hard thing to implement in an agency for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, you're like, I, 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 I get it, but I, you know, that, that fear-based part of me has gone, well, what if I like way overpriced and scare them? I'm, I'm, right. more, I'm more worried yeah. about overpricing and scaring people off. Yeah. And I am about underpricing because underpricing I can correct a right. heck of a lot easier and know yeah. that that's what, you know, if somebody jumps at it like in a half a heartbeat and doesn't have to think about it, I'm like, well, I definitely underpriced that one. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that's a sign, right? <laughs> oh, they took it immediately. That I, I didn't price it high enough. Or, or on my end, if I go in and I'm like, well, you know, I know about how much work I should be putting into this and it ends yeah. up being three times the work. I'm like, yeah. Oh, I really screwed the pooch on that one. That's right. But yeah. when you, you know, put that pricing out there and then it's crickets, yeah. it's, well, is it because I priced it too high or is it because yeah. somebody else, you know, it's did hard. this It's you, you don't know. know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you don't know unless you ask for, for direct feedback from that client. And, it's just a it's a situation we don't all like to be in because it's uncomfortable, sure. you know. Yeah, and I, so. I don't I don't deal well with discomfort. Yeah, <laughs> we, none of us do. <laughs> that's probably why I'm the artsy type. <laughs> hey, that's right. That's right. 
So, you know, kind of wrapping up real quickly, where can people find you online? Yeah. So uh, people can find me at Blummer CPAs. That's uh, B-L-U-M-E-R. And then CPAS.com, Blummer CPAs. Um, And you can find me on Twitter, too, at Jason M. Blummer. Jason M. Marcus is my middle name, so Jason M. Blummer. Somebody already take Jason Blummer? Well, that's also mine. Oh, okay. So you have <laughs> it, both of them. Yeah, it it got hacked, and a lot of people tagged me at Jason Blummer. But you can, I I put a you know put something up there years ago that said, hey, I don't use this one anymore. Go to, go to. <laughs> so I, I switched, and then I never went back, and it I got it unhacked or whatever happened. So I don't know. It was years ago. I can't even remember. So now, if Twitter would come up with a nice way to forward that to the one that you check regularly, that's right. Yeah. Oh man, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, that would be that would be awesome. Yeah, if people tag me on the old one, I normally I don't even know they're doing it until <laughs> so, <laughs> you check it three months later. <laughs> yeah, I check it three months later. So, um, and I do I write a I write a good bit of content. I do a lot of blogging, and you know I, all my blogs end up on our Blummer CPAs you know site um, mm-hmm. and LinkedIn. And then of course I have a podcast. A I was about to say, and you have your own yeah. podcast as well. Yeah, so. yeah, I have the Businessology Show. And uh, typically once a month, I'll interview an agency owner um, that's kind of, you know, dealing with growth issues, not dealing with growth issues, but they are growing. And so they have a lot of issues we can talk through. um, Dealing with the challenges that come with growth. There you go. I love how you said that, Jason. That was beautiful. Um, <laughs> it's not stuff they're screwing up. It's dealing with the challenges. And the Forefathers group, the those guys were on there, too. And it was that was a really good one. Oh, I need to go it back was, and find that one. It was, that one in the... it was months ago. It was, I don't know when, it was probably last year. Um, oh, so. I missed that one in the feed when I was going through and looking at all the ones that you had yeah. recorded. It was, <laughs> it was a long time ago. And Dan Maul and I, a lot of people know Dan Maul. Yeah. He and I, we started the podcast together. Um, and then he just got too busy and couldn't do it. So I just kept going with it. And, uh, and I have the time to do about one one interview per month. <laughs> so it's not hey, a huge... I, I, you know, I completely understand how time-consuming it can be. <laughs> it is. Podcasting is very time-consuming because you got to maintain the sites and the technical parts and things like that. Edit so, stuff. and Edit stuff, yeah, but it's a lot of fun. So Yeah, that's where I need to learn how to... Actually, it's not even that I need to learn to delegate on that. I need yeah. to find a way to afford to yeah. literally cost-wise afford to be able to delegate that stuff out to somebody else <laughs> oh yeah it's it's but, it helps as you know podcasts don't really make money so <laughs> no they don't <laughs> so it's everybody's like man i'm gonna do podcasting and make a bunch of money nope yeah that's not how it works <laughs> no i mean i have a few sponsors and it pretty much covers the bills <laughs> that's right that's how it works so yep. so <laughs> well jason i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and uh, I, I think a lot of good stuff came out of this one. So I'm yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It. Yeah, You're welcome. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, man. I yeah. appreciate it. So we end every podcast by saying "Go out and hug some necks," <laughs> which is just a f- way of saying go out and make friends, meet new people, learn new things. Uh, would you mind taking us out by saying that? Yeah. Go out and hug some necks. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Thank you. You can find out more about Jason on Twitter at Jason M. Blummer. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. 
You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative SOPod and follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Head over to RealThread.com today and tell them Creative South Podcast sent you in the checkout. Or when you talk to your account executive to get up to $100 off your next order. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CreativeSouth. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. Don't forget to head over to CreativeSouthGA.com right now to pick up your tickets for Creative South in April of 2017. We're looking forward to seeing you there and hugging some necks. And remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.